You're listening to Redeeming Love, a movie companion podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Pruitt. You might know me as a speaker, author, or have seen me on ABC's The Bachelor. But right now, we're here to explore a different kind of love story. Redeeming Love is based on the best-selling novel by Francine Rivers and follows the life-changing journey of Angel, a young woman forced into prostitution who finds rescue in a man named Michael Hosea. Whether you're a fan of the book or new to the story, this podcast will be your exclusive destination for behind-the-scenes interviews with cast and crew, authentic conversations with special guests, fan Q&As, and fresh insights from the author and screenplay writer herself, Francine Rivers. Welcome everyone to episode five. This podcast journey has been amazing so far. Once again, I'm your host, Maddie Pruitt. And I know that in today's episode, you're going to feel all the things. We'll be answering fan-based submitted questions. We'll speak with the film's director, DJ Caruso, as well as hear some truly impactful words from author Francine Rivers about how Angel comes to own her past and find her purpose, something that we all struggle with. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to jump in and get this episode going. With a past as complex and traumatic as Angel's, it's no wonder she felt hopeless. But through understanding and owning the hardships she had been through, Angel was able to finally leave her captors and find purpose in helping other women just like her. Now let's hear from Francine, what it means to find our own purpose in this world and how our past can help define our future. It's very freeing to try to please one rather than many. So I think if you, when you live your life for Christ, you're pleasing God, you know, you're going to please God. When you look at the women in the Bible, there are those that are called to be at home with the children. And there are also those that are called to be prophets and those that are called to be military leaders. And those are real people. They're not stories. They're real people. In the faith level, we have different callings. And, um, you know, women are incredible. Hmm. So are men. But, I mean, women are incredible. <laughs> and, and I think, we, for, so, for you know, for so long, I think re- women have been kind of locked into things that they, they are allowed to do or not allowed to do. And we've, hmm. got, we've gotten a lot more freedom to yeah. expand. And even, I mean, even at the end, Angel is an organizer and a businesswoman in some ways. Yeah. You want to look at it that way in her ministry. But I think that women don't give themselves enough credit, but they also, they need to also remember that there are other women that choose to the old traditional roles Mm -hmm. and excel at that. Yeah. There's a difference between a housewife and a homemaker. Mm. A homemaker is a career. Yeah. And I think we, we forget that how valuable that is. Yeah, absolutely. We're all called to different walks in life Mm -hmm. and we need to extend that same grace to to each other. You got any big plans? She's something to see, ain't she? Let's continue our conversation with director DJ Caruso. 
I know, too, probably a big part of the pressure was, you know, the cast. Like, what was that like in kind of working with, you know, the cast and crew involved in this project, you know, making sure the right people were in the right place to really translate this message and the roles well? Yeah, I mean, that's always very difficult. And obviously, you start with Angel and uh, finding the right actress. And we, I must have read about over 100 young girls to, you know, to play Angel and, and it was trying to find the right pocket and trying to find the right thing. When Abigail came in, it really reminded me of a, years ago when I, I did a movie called Disturbia and Shia LaBeouf came in and read for Disturbia, like within two seconds of the first scene, I was like, I got him. Like, hmm. this is the guy. And, yeah. And that's, that's how I felt about Abigail wow. when she came in and very late in the process. And so, you know, and, and, and in finding her and once you can find her as the anchor and know that she has all these different colors and all these places that she can go. And we played a lot around in rehearsal to see where, what she can do. And I really was like, wow, I really have this sort of beautiful blank canvas that's not afraid to go to all these different places. And so by anchoring with her and then trying to find Michael was difficult because I also started to think about it, the cinematic version of the movie. I think Michael's slightly different than a lot of what people would expect in the book with Michael mm-hmm. because in the book, he's a little bit more brooding and, you know, a man <laughs> of the farm and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. It's great. But at the end of the day, this is also a young love story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also a love story about him being in love maybe for the first time as well and, and understanding what, what this gift is from God that he has. And so it was important to find him. And I just saw when Tom came in and I saw Tom in London, cause I, we were casting all over the world trying to find it. And I, my trip to London and I saw Tom, there was something amazingly endearing about mm, his eyes. Yeah. You saw deep into his soul. And so once I found that and I read he and Abigail together, I felt really comfortable that we found a good combination. And then the most critical character to me after those was Paul, because I thought Paul really, really has an amazing arc in this movie. Yeah. He and in the novel as well. But he comes in a little bit late in the movie and he really, you know, really makes a huge impact on the movie on Angel. And so uh, really blessed to get uh, Logan Marshall Green, who just was fantastic and right away just gave 100 percent. And and then Duke, finding Duke, it, it was always, uh, uh, you know, how do you how do you cast Duke? Um, yeah. Yes, he's either mustache twirling bad guy. Right, right, right. Devil or but Eric Dane <laughs> is so charming. Yeah. You know? And so like pleasing to look at that. It sort of made a great thing. And that's, that's the thing, temptation, the devil and evil mm. and what, however you want to translate it. It's not always in an ugly package. It's usually yeah. in a pretty attractive right. package. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like kind of putting that all together. And then I found just amazing character actors in South Africa that filled out a lot of the different roles and Famka, uh, Famka came in and she played a great job to do Duchess. And she was amazing. So it all kind of pieced together. It was like a puzzle puzzle piece. And I always had them up on my boards and looking at who is the possibilities. And I, I really feel blessed. So casting, casting was difficult, but then ultimately paid off in a great way. In an amazing way. In 60 days, that sounds unreal to me. I mean, I don't know much about all of this, but that sounds pretty amazing. What's that? 60 to shoot 60, the movie? Yeah, or? shooting, shooting in about 60 days, 30, right? 30, 30, 30 days. 30 days. Yeah, yeah. The movie was shot in 30 you days. Shot, so. Y'all shot this in 30 days. That's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah, it, was, it was crazy. And, and and I mean this in a good way. It was the most difficult film I've ever made in my life. Wow. Just because of the the time, and you know, we 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 had resources, but just the amount of work you had to do each day. And if you you've obviously seen the film, there's some emotional, heavy scenes, like, mm-hmm. and some physically demanding scenes. So each day you were going in there, just like, you know, sun up, sun down, really right. working. So it was like it was an it was a, a beautifully exhausting process. Right. 
Well, and it's a message that's so much bigger than ourselves, right? So it's yeah. it there is a weight that comes with that and a responsibility that comes with that. But I, I I feel like it translated so well, and you could see how intentional you guys were through the entire process with every single little detail, and and I love that. I, I want to ask. So what what to you was like your favorite scene of of the film? Like what was what was the most difficult for you, and what was your favorite? Well, I would say. I'll go with favorite first because it's it evolved into becoming my favorite scene. And, and when you make a film, you have a discovery as well, usually. And for me, it was there's a scene where Angel is with Michael and she decides to leave for the first time when he's out riding on the horses and taking care of things out on the farm. And she sneaks away and Michael ends up coming up in on the horse and he finds her and she only walked about one mile and she has 19 miles left to get back to mm. where she was in paradise and she comes up to Michael and she stands off to him and she kind of, you know, slaps him in the face and says, like, you don't own me. Right. And then Michael in such a it's the first time in her life. I realize I realize this directing this. Mm, yeah. It's the first time in her life that a man didn't demand anything from her. He gave her the canteen of water and he gives her the jacket and he gives her her dignity and says, hey, it's up to you. Like it's 19 miles that way. It's one mile back home downhill. And that close up of Angel, when we did the close up of Abigail. And I saw it in her eyes and I realized like that was the key moment to kind of unlocking that lock that she had on her heart. Mm. And it was the first time and you can see it in her eyes. It's very subtle. But to me, that little scene out of all the scenes became the most important and my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. And then most difficult scene. um, I would say the most difficult scene was Duke's sort of new brothel down in San Francisco when we kind of get back and, and it's when he kind of gets re- recaptures Angel and brings her back in. And there was a lot of elements and a lot of extras mm-hmm. and a lot of emotion. And, you know, to shoot that in three or three days but from start to finish, it was just it was an exhausting, exhausting piece dealing with all the extras, dealing with the emotion that Angel's going through, dealing right. with Duke and all that. So that was probably the most difficult scene for me to shoot. Wow. And what what are the challenges, you know, of working on a, a period piece like this? Oh, well, the, the challenges of the period piece are as simple as, and, and I hadn't done one, uh, I hadn't really done a period piece, but like, you can't have an airplane sound in the sky when you're shooting. Oh, you can't have, that's you, so yeah. true. You don't yeah. think about that. No, you don't think about that. There's there's power lines off in the distance of the farms and the hills that have to kind of be painted out. So there's all the like the modern things that kind of have, have seeped into the world, uh, some of the obvious things about that. And then there's also the dialect of the time and the period. And and because it was America, a melting pot uh, at that time in mm-hmm. 1850s, everyone from, from the Irish to the Chinese to the through the, you know, the East coasters from the Midwesterns, like everyone was kind of coming to California. It was really, it gave us the freedom to, to play with people's accents and the way that it was, it wasn't all one speak, which made it fun, but a little bit difficult to kind of maintain and South Africans speaking American and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So managing all those accents, but I, and then also like, you know, horse and buggies, horses don't, horses don't necessarily always go where you want them to go. <laughs> Having the actors ride them and control them yeah. and training training them. So we did everything the old fashioned way. So the actors learned how to ride and Michael was very good. And I gave him a dog in the movie, which is not in the book, uh, just so he can have a little bit of companion and dogs are not always easy. Um, (laughs) But I think for the period, it was really like, and we did, we, I've always found with great films, you sort of just sort of go off and you watch a film and you get lost in it and and it transpires and, and you realize like you're in the period, you don't realize. And then when they don't work, you realize it's people in costumes sort of performing 
And I think we did such a great job. Moira did such a great job with our costumes. Like the costumes mm. were phenomenal. Most of them came from Spain and Eastern Europe and brought into South Africa and were tailored and fit. And, um, and we really, we really did the period correct. Yeah. Um, we did it right. And even the street in paradise, we built it up on a hill that kind of goes in and around. So like all Hollywood movie sets tend to be flat and perfect with perfect angles and L's and stuff. So this is a really gnarly town that we put into the hills and really took pride in, 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 in making it as accurate as we could uh, to what it would be like in 1850s and in the Sierra Nevadas. It's amazing. The Sierra Nevada. <laughs> okay. I have another question about you and Francine. How was it like working with her and collaborating on this project? And again, was, was your wife like fangirling? Was she so excited? <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Oh, you know, well, you know, Francine has a terrible temper and besides yelling at me half the time. Um, no. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> She's like, you're screwing this up. You're no, honestly, it was joy working with Francine because I think there was such a mutual respect for obviously what I had for what she'd created in the mm -hmm. book and the characters. But then I think she understood cinematically because they've been trying over the years right. to, to get this going and to kind of lick it and to get it on the screen. And it never found for whatever reason, maybe God has a purpose for me to find it. Mm -hmm. It never found its footing. It never really got there. And even, even though Francine was writing it and the drafts were pretty good, it just like, there was just something. And so I think she respected my perspective and it was an incredible collaboration. If I would kind of write something down and I'd send it to her and say, what do you think about this? And she, oh, that's fantastic. I didn't think about that. And she would write it and would come back and she'd clean up a dialogue. So it was really collaborative and it was really great. And it's also, when I first started, I was a little nervous because yeah. you don't know how someone's going to interpret, you know, this is a novel that she took many years and, and pain to write and right. is beautiful. And to say like, hey, in order to get it to the screen, I think this scene needs to do this or let's take this out and do a flashback. And and so we really worked well together and sort of policed each other in getting the script in a really good, good space. So it was an amazing working relationship. I was really honored to work with her and that worked out well. And my wife would always be every draft or every scene, <laughs> you know, she'd be reading it. She'd be sitting in bed reading it. Oh, no. she's just. And, you know, the, the thing about the book, what I found is and particularly my wife is like, my wife wanted this movie to be eight hours long, right? Like she just wanted to eat. <laughs> she never you wanted to leave the theater, right? I mean, yeah, I, I'm you, with your you wife. Take, I'm there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, like you can't take this out. You can't take that right, out. You can't take right. this out. You know, you know, and you can almost make a, an entire movie or episode about the Altmans who come into the movie. Right. Right. And how that whole thing's, but you have to figure out in the narrative drive of the movie, how much attention can you pay to that and, mm -hmm. and, and, and still have it, have it uh, mind some gold. So, you know, it's really some just tough decisions you have to make. Yeah making that translation. But what I found was really funny was I found myself going back to the book, even though Francine had written this draft, I don't know like who gave a note, but I would go like, wait a minute, like there's a better scene in the book. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, I know. I don't know why I kind of remember <laughs> that. So I go, let's take that scene and put it back in. Yeah. So it was funny. Like I was going back into her source material to help do the rewrite that I was doing with her, which I think is great. I love that. You know, and, and just to wrap up, I, I would love to just hear, I think that this is such an important message for today's world. You know, what is your hope? What are your prayers? What are your thoughts uh, uh, going into this for others to be able to, to watch this and what you hope they will walk away with? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Well, I, I think you always hope that you can make something that taps into something personal or a zeitgeist of the, of the time. But I think that ultimately I just want them to realize that I, I do find in my life that it's 
even though we say it, love ends up being conditional so many times. Mm. It really does end up being conditional about, well, if you do this and you do this and you didn't do this and you didn't do this and you did that. And then I, then like, I, I really think people, it's one of those things where it's just so pure to understand that step back. We are all damaged. We are mm. all imperfect. When you see a young woman on the street who's might be a prostitute, please don't judge her because you don't have no idea how she got there. Yeah. No, you really don't understand her plight and what mm. she's been through or what happens. It's not maybe a choice that this young woman had made. So I think that's really important to understand that we're all so beautiful and we're all so special. And what happens is when innocence is shattered and crushed, it doesn't mean that you have to, that it's over for that person, yeah. you know, because that love is always there and it's always out there. You just have to look for it. You're carrying it in you, inside you. You just don't know that it's there mm. this whole time. And so in simple terms, I just want, I just want people who maybe are non-believers just to watch the movie and go, yeah, like that's, you know, my life has not been great, but I can come back and I can wow. do something special. Mm-hmm. And for those who are believers, I think it's, it's kind of obvious they, you know, they know what they know, but it's also good to be reminded about how special that love is. Absolutely. That was wonderfully said, beautifully said. And I just want to thank you uh, for what you've done and for who you are and for, you know, this message that I do believe um, is is going to really impact uh, this generation. So it's been an honor just interviewing with you. So thank you for your time. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for saying this. this is kind of, very kind words. I appreciate it. And thank you for uh, for being such an enthusiastic person and to, to really embrace the movie and to understand it. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And now we're answering your questions with Redeeming Love author, Francine Rivers. How many boxes of Kleenex will I need to bring to the theater for this film? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I've seen it twice and I cry multiple times throughout the film. So for those listening, bring your Kleenex to the movie. You're going to need it. So have the actors read your, your book? Yes. Actually, Abigail Cohen pursued the role because she had read the book. Wow. And then uh, Tom Lewis read it before his audition. So he had a real understanding of who Michael Michael is. And I think there were a number of uh, crew members and other cast members that read it. And then while we were in South Africa, we wanted everybody to have a copy. Mm. So uh, before I left, we were able to finally, we, we really went through a lot to get the books there, but we were able to get the books signed and given out to the cast and crew before we left. Yeah. And what was that like? What was their feedback to you after they had read the book? Were they, you know, more excited? They were like, hey, I got to be a part of this role now. Did it, did you see even just the impact that it had on them? I think there were a number of people that hadn't read it before. And when they had it, it did have an impact on them. Mm. And it meant a lot to the people. It seemed like the whole crew and the cast really worked together and they understood that this was a really special project. Right. I, I know in some of the sizzles that, that comes out when people are talking about it. So it's amazing. I mean, we all want that unconditional forever love mm-hmm. and that's what's being defined in this. And the, the whole purpose for me is to create that hunger and thirst for the real thing because we we see fake love all the time but this is kind of defining showing you what real love looks like so what was the most difficult scene would you say to film um i think the actors would have to answer that but Mm -hmm. i know one of the scenes that i think was really difficult was the one with angel washing herself scrubbing herself Mm -hmm. literally tearing her skin off 
because she felt so dirty because of what had happened to her. And I, I know there I've gotten letters from people that have gone through that kind yeah. of trauma mm-hmm. and feeling that way, just feeling the shame. And shame tends to really lock you in and imprison you, enslave you. And when you're finally able, it takes that trust. You know, she had to grow to trust Michael and then she could begin to open up and tell her past. Yeah. And that was what gave her freedom. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening. We want to hear from you. So let us know what you thought of today's episode by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. And make sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Let us know on socials who you're bringing with you to see Redeeming Love. You can find us on Instagram at Redeeming Love Movie. And you can find me online at Maddie Prue. Thank you for listening. And remember, there's no brokenness that love can't heal. Redeeming Love, a movie companion podcast, is a lasting media production. I'm your host, Maddie Pruitt. Our executive producers are John Fender and Jason Barrett. Edited and produced by Ben Delameter and Jonas Litton. Administration and project management by Bethany Callahan. Special thanks to Francine Rivers, Tom Lewis, DJ Caruso, Cindy Bond, and Brandon and Brittany Lake. We would also like to thank Sandoval Agency, Skies Fall Agency, Troops and Allies, Parker Productions, and WTA Media. To learn more, follow us on socials and visit our website at redeeminglovemovie.com.